we had correction, which a good apostolic sermon will contain these three things. Correction, instruction, and exhortation. Amen. We live in a world today where nobody wants to be corrected. Thank you, Brother Garrett. Remember, around here it's okay to say amen if you believe something. We live in a world where everybody is right, and that is impossible. Amen. We raised generations of kids that's never been told no, and then wonder why they become like they are. Most child psychologists will tell you a kid needs to hear three, uh, three times as many no's as yeses. It's not because you're mean or cruel, but that's how kids learn. Amen. In the church, all of that junk that's in the world always filters into the church. So in the church, we don't want to be told something that we're doing wrong. That's why we don't preach conviction messages anymore. Nobody wants to be convicted. They want to find somebody to tell them you can go to heaven, live in any way you want to. And then we wonder why the church is in the shape that it's in. Amen. Even non-apostolics realize we must get back to preaching the word. Your denominal churches are making that swing. Back to teaching the word. Amen. So today will be exhortation. When you leave here today, I hope that you feel like you can attack hell with a water pistol. Amen. I don't want us leaving here today thinking we're, we're just this little bitty church and we're just trying to survive and Lord, please come quickly because we just don't know if we can make it or not. That theology is not in the Word of God. Amen. And I'm going to give you some scriptures to back that up. Amen. We are not some weak church that's just trying to survive. We don't serve some weak God that is just hoping he doesn't get overrun by the forces of evil. We serve the God. And there is none other. Amen. Praise God. I had a little church on the way to, to church. Listening to 98.7. They started singing, There is no God like Jehovah. If that won't get you excited, you're, you're either dead or unexcitable. There's no God like Jehovah. In the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were coming to your town, they knew there's no God like Jehovah. This bunch of folks have never lost a battle. This bunch of folks walked through a sea. This bunch of folks marched around the mightiest city and the walls fell down. This bunch of people occupied a land that their God said belonged to them. Get everybody else out of there. This is yours. And then in the New Testament, Jesus stood up and declared, I am Jehovah. God. Woo! Deuteronomy 6 and 4 is either wrong or Jesus is God in flesh. There's no other way to look at it because Deuteronomy 6 4 said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is 
one. And he declared in the Old Testament, I am Jehovah. In the New Testament, Jesus stood up and declared, I am Jehovah. <laughs> Woo! Amen. Brother Edwards, I'm going to try not to preach before I preach. But it's hard to do when I feel what I feel today. Amen. I believe we are living in the greatest time of the church. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3. Now go and strike Amalek and completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And then skipping down to verse 9 to save us some time. We'll connect the story in a minute. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fat ones, the lambs, and everything that was good, and they were not willing to destroy them entirely. Notice those four or five words. They were not willing to destroy them entirely, but everything that was undesirable or worthless they destroyed completely, so Saul made a decision. Anytime I make a decision from the carnal way of thinking, I make a mistake. Because I cannot see the things in the spirit all the time if I am operating in the carnal. Samuel the prophet, the man of God, saw things spiritually. Saul looked at things carnally. And Saul made the judgment, these are good, these are evil, let's keep these. Samuel, the man of God, said, destroy it all. Amen. And then to Ephesians, Ephesians 6 and 12. And then I'm going to read some more scriptures later on, but we're going to tie it all together. I'll give you fair warning, I feel like preaching today. Ephesians 6 and 12. Talking about the armor of God. I've preached that, don't have time to cover all that, or we'll be here to, for a long time, and I don't want to do that today. So after Paul describes the armor of God and the importance of the armor of God, then he says in verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. So Paul tells us, put on the armor of God because this is why you're going to need it. Because we don't battle against a foe that we can see. We, Amen. Let me help some of you out. When you're watching the news, quit looking at it from the eyes of the carnal. Start looking at it through the eyes of the spiritual and it'll start to make sense. Amen. We don't wrestle against uh, flesh and blood, but we battle against a spirit being that speaks through people. And I'm not saying that everybody that speaks evil stuff is devil-possessed. I'm not preaching that at all. But he uses media, sound, visual, because the devil owns that medium. So he uses the tools that he has, 
And if we just look at it from a carnal standpoint, we get angry. We start to, to, to discredit people that don't believe exactly like us politically. And that is dangerous territory. But if I look at it through the eyes of the Spirit, I realize those people are just pawns being used by Satan to set things up. And I don't war against them. I'm coming against the Spirit that's speaking through them and trying to destroy our earth. So I'm going against the Spirit. Okay? All right. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask you to be with us for the remainder of our time together today. God, God speak to us. God, show us things. Lord, we praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen. Thank you for standing in order for this message to accomplish the things I believe God wants to accomplish I need to start here, and then we'll work our way forward. The natural things in the Old Testament very often have a spiritual application in our lives, and then we have the choice to apply them to our lives so that we can be victorious and have a life that means something. That is why we can't just discard the Old Testament saying that was ancient history, but most of the time in the Old Testament, it's types and shadows of things to come in the New Testament, and it is also spiritual stuff applied to us that was physical stuff applied to them. So in the Old Testament, Saul was given very specific instructions by the man of God in his life. Notice that even God, uh, even God, even though God gave the people what they desired, and that was an earthly king so they could be like everyone else, God always kept a man of God or a prophet in their as a checks and balance. Amen. We will never outgrow the need of a man of God in our life. It didn't matter how mighty the kingdom was or how mighty the king was, there was always a man of God that could supersede his judgment. So Saul is the king, Samuel is the priest, and Samuel said, go destroy the Amalekites. And this was in direct retaliation of what the Amalekites had done to Israel when they were en route from Egypt to Canaan. You never get away with doing wrong stuff. As the Israelites are on the way out of Egypt into Canaan, the Amalekites attacked them and they targeted the tired, the weak, and those lagging behind the people and they took advantage of that and destroyed part of God's people. So God said, that is not going to go unpunished. You go down and utterly destroy them. He told Saul, go destroy everything they have and spare nothing. Wipe them out. He said, destroy the men, the women, the children, the ox, the sheep, and the donkeys. They were supposed to be utterly wiped out. Now then, before we get all excited about, well, all this bloodshed, and I've heard people use that, well, all that bloodshed in the Bible, and there's all kinds of contradictions. The, 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 the Ten Commandments are, thou shalt not kill, thou, thou shalt not do this, but yet they killed all these people. Remember, physical, spiritual. Amen. And when they went into a territory that belonged to them, and God said, wipe them out. He did that for a reason. He knew if any of them hung around, then they're going to influence the people of God. It would be a good thing to go into our lives today, this week, and destroy some things that don't need to be in our house, 
around our kids, around our home. We need to completely destroy those things so it takes the temptation away. So God said destroy them all, wipe them out. Saul makes a decision that was not his to make. And he started looking around and said, you know what? There's some pretty nice stuff here. So I'm going to make a decision that's above my pay grade. The man of God is delayed, so I'm going to step in and fill an office he was not qualified to fill. And he said, here we go. Let's save the best of this and the best of that. And instead of destroying the king, we will keep him. And he saved Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Now then, let's fast forward to the book of Esther. Esther becomes the queen. There's an evil man in the kingdom, and he comes up with a plan or a plot to exterminate all the Jews. And his name was Haman. And the Bible says, if you will study this out, that he was an Agag, an Agite, a direct descendant of the Amalekites. So how did Haman get to be alive? It's because Saul saved someone in his lineage. <laughs> if Saul had obeyed the commandment of the man of God, then there never would have been a Haman, and perhaps Esther would have had a whole different meaning as a book. But Samuel said, destroy them all. Saul makes a decision, saves the king. And now years later, there is a problem because what was supposed to have been destroyed was saved. Lesson here is we are in spiritual warfare because the enemy must be wiped out. We can't make a treaty or enter into negotiations with him. That is not our job. Amen? Shame on me. If I allow an enemy that, to live that should have been destroyed, come back and haunt my kids or grandkids later on. Shame on me if Sophia and Liam have to fight a spiritual battle they never would have had to fight if granddad had a killed what God said kill and get that out of there. My God. Amen. And now they've got to go back and fight a battle that should have been won because granddad said, wait a minute, I'm going to let that slide a little bit. I'm going to let that go. And now they've got to hunker down instead of enjoying the things of God. They've got to go back and fight something that should have been destroyed. That's why Abundant Life Church cannot rest on our laurels and say, look at what we've got, and we can just sit around and take it easy. That's why we've got to bow up and be involved in spiritual warfare because if this thing tarries, I don't want the next generation of Abundant Life Church to fight junk that we should have conquered before it got there. I want them to enjoy the promised land, the things of God, without having to fight a battle that we should have won. Let me help you right here. Anytime I interject, I feel, I believe, or I see, I'm entering into dangerous waters. Because I cannot editorialize the Word of God. There are some things that I don't get to vote on. <laughs> Praise God. There are some things that are above my pay grade. 
There are sometimes things I leave alone because I'm not authorized to go there. If the Word of God says, Thus saith the Lord, leave that alone, you can't modify that one with an I feel, I think, I believe. Amen. If the Word of God calls something an abomination, leave that alone. You can't improve on that. You can't do anything with that. An abomination is an abomination. That's why we leave that alone and we try to bring people out of bondage into freedom. But we cannot go back in there and say, well, that was written and now this is 2019, so that might have changed a little bit. It doesn't matter if culture changes. It doesn't matter if the church changes. The apostolic church cannot change. My God. Amen. You will never have to worry about a general conference of a board of people getting together and saying we belong, believe homosexuality is really not wrong in 2019. That will never happen because this organization believes the Word of God. And if it's not popular, that's okay because it's still the Word of God and we're not going to change the rules to suit a certain amount of people. We're just going to say we believe the Word of God. We still believe it's true. And we're standing on the Word of God and we believe it. If it offends you, I'm sorry. If it hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. But it's the Word of God. Amen. Praise God. Woo. I'm not called to editorialize, strategize, or opinionize. I'm called to obey the Word of God and not try to figure everything out. Amen. So here we go. For the remainder of this message, I hope I can inspire you, energize you, have you ready to enter into the victory that God is leading this church and you into. In 1902, George Luger designed the 9 by 19 millimeter firearms cartridge commonly referred to as a 9mm. As per tradition, the round was named the 9mm Luger in respect or for the acknowledgement of the man who created it. So if you, if you study firearms or firearm cartridges, if you look at a firearm cartridge in the United States, it's going to be, a, it's going to be uh, uh, discussed as a, as a caliber because we're English measurements. In everywhere else in the world, it will be a millimeter because they are on the metric system. Okay? So there is actually a, a round called a 280, and the round of the 280 is called the 280 Roberts because somebody named Roberts developed that, that round. It's actually uh, just a smidgen over a 7 millimeter bullet, but it's called the 280 Roberts. There's the 270 Winchester. All of these are named after the company or the person that invented them. So the 9mm was commonly referred to as the 9mm Luger. But the popular name is the 9mm Parabellum. So the name of the sermon is Parabellum. <clears throat> and loosely translated, Parabellum is Latin for, If you seek peace, prepare for war. Amen. Because there's some folks you can't negotiate with. Praise God. There's some folks 
You've got to stand up and say, we are not going to be pushed around by you because we are the United States of America and you can call us bullies all you want to, but the reason you're a country is because we stepped in and protected you. Amen. Somebody sent me, uh, maybe it was one of the Brother Garrett's that sent it to me. If not, I'll still give them credit for it because it sounded like it came from them. Maybe Brother, I think Brother Hillstead might have shared it with me. Anyway, there was this old, older American, elderly American traveled to France. So he's going through the, the immigration line or the, the line where you present your passport and they interview you and ask you what you're doing, how long you're going to stay and all that. So he presents his passport and the guy says, have you ever been to France before? And he said, yeah, several years ago when I was just a teenager. He said, a lot of things have changed because when I came to France, I didn't have to show my passport. And the guy said, surely, sir, you're mistaken because you'd never get into this country without showing your passport. He said, but I did. He said, when I was 18 or 19 years old, I landed on the beach at Normandy. And I couldn't find a Frenchman anywhere around to show my passport to because we were fighting so that you could live in your silly country named France because the United States said you ain't going to push them around. You're not going to do that because we believe in what is right and we're going to stand for it. We need to stand on our hind legs and say, bless God, we're just going to stand here. And the reason the United States is where it is right now is because we stood up and fought for morals and what was right when it wasn't popular and when they said you're a bunch of hicks and you're a bunch of backwoods people but we stood for what we believe and God has blessed a nation because of that Woo! but we need to be just as bold about saying I'm an apostolic and I only believe there is one God and his name is Jesus there ain't three that you try to massage into one. There's not this, that, and the other. But there is one God, and His name is Jesus. And He is the God, not a God, not a subservient God, not a God you've divided. But He is one because the Word says He's one. And if you don't believe it, I'm still going to declare it because it's the truth. Amen. It's time for us to become confident and decide to fight for the morals and the way of life we embrace. There is no reason to hang our head and say we don't believe in same-sex marriage. There is no reason to hang your head and say we don't believe in your transitioning from a man to a woman or a woman to a man or a man to an it. Amen. There are not three classifications on gender. There's only two. You either a male or a female, and that other junk, don't listen to that lie that was hatched from the pits of hell. Don't go up to a restroom that's got half a man with trousers and half a lady with a dress and say, what in the world is that? That is nothing. That is a lie because a God that doesn't make mistakes didn't make a mistake with you and your identity and your transitioning or any of that other junk. The Word of God is still true. Let me throw one scripture on you. If you're taking notes, write this one down. Isaiah 54, 17 doesn't sound like a weak, barely surviving, insecure people. 
No weapon that is formed against you will succeed. And every tongue that arises against you in judgment, you will condemn. This peace, righteousness, security, and triumph over opposition is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, says the Lord. It ain't your battle to fight. It's God's battle. He just chose you to be the first one out the door and say, thus saith the Lord. This is what we declare. Let me put some Isaiah 54, 17 on you. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Does that sound like a weak church? Does that sound like a weak individual? No, it sounds like somebody that steps out with confidence and says there is something in the background. Amen. Praise God. Woo. Mm. My goodness. When China started making some noise a couple of weeks ago, starting that little chirping, running that little mouth wedge is what we used to call it. You know what the United States said? We're just going to send part of our Navy over there and let you see it. Amen. And when that aircraft carrier, the biggest one in the world, shows up, the nuclear one, guess what, folks? We got three or four more of them we can send if you want to see them too. Amen. You know why we're not speaking Chinese today? It's because the United States is blessed of God. You can call it arrogance if you want to. You can call it whatever you want to. But we live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth that is blessed by God. And that is because we stand up for what is right. Amen. I have had the privilege of traveling overseas. I've traveled to Guatemala. I was there when they said it gets dark at 6. We're off the road at 545. We're like, why? Y'all's cars don't have lights on them? And they said, oh yeah, we've got headlights. <laughs> but unless you want to be held for ransom so your folks back home can come up with some money, we're getting off the road because that's what happens. Amen. If you get pulled over, they tell you, bribery is perfectly acceptable. Start peeling off those 20s. And you'll know when the stack gets big enough because they'll let you go. Stuff like that is foreign to us. Right? Praise God. And then, amen, I'm, I'm going to be so careful here because I'm about to wade out in the tall weeds and I'm going to be very, very careful. But then you got people in this country, Brother Hillstead, that use and abuse that. And don't understand what freedom costs. And we're only one cycle away from being like everybody else if we're not careful and we back up on our principles and our morals and the thing that makes this country great. I believe there is an illustration there of a spiritual warfare. If we are not careful, we can lose the apostolic doctrine in one generation. And this church won't even resemble, and I'm not saying Abundant Life Church, but the church won't even resemble the church of the past if we are not careful and if we do not closely guard what God has given us. Liberty is free, but it's not cheap. 
<laughs> a church that stands in the gates of hell and is victorious is, is free, but it's not cheap. It costs somebody something. Amen. Spiritual warfare is just that. It is a war in the spirit world. And I believe we've been guilty of buying into the idea that as the church, we're just trying to run out the clock so we can make it to heaven. I believe as the church, we have become guilty of trying to sit down at the negotiation table with Satan and say, we will give you prayer in school if you promise you won't come any further. Let me preach. And then after he stepped over that line, we said, all right, we'll give you this, but you got to promise that's all you're going to take. Amen. Roe versus Wade. I was just a little boy when that happened. I believe it was 1972 or 74. I was just a little kid, didn't understand all about that. But you know what we did? We let the devil in. We said, all right, we'll give you this. But you got to promise now. Amen. Praise God. So 72 or 74 to 2019, ever how many years that is? Was that about 36, uh, 35, 36, something like that? Milton, is that? Somebody spit it out for me. Get your calculator out. Help me out. 2019 minus 1972. Anybody got a calculator phone? 47 years. Thank you, Brother Eddie. 47 years. He did it in his head. 47 years. Now then, we're to the point where there's a governor in Virginia, which the last time I checked is a southern state. There's a governor in Virginia that has decided that after the baby is born, the parents can decide whether they want to terminate him or not. Folks, that is called infanticide. That is called murder, and that is wrong. Yet we have, we've smudged the line so much. Amen. I'm going to preach on. See, we smudge the line so much, and then we wonder why people go into shopping malls and shoot up things and kill people, but, but we, we, we fail. See, it's painful to realize that we have devalued human life so much. Amen. 60 million legal abortions. See, we've, we, we've, we're so far down that road that human life doesn't mean anything anymore because the world will teach you can do whatever you want to on the date and if something happens you can always just terminate that because that is your choice what we have done is devalued human life so much it doesn't mean anything anymore and we're sitting around scratching our heads saying well we just can't figure out what's wrong with society you know what's wrong with society we got away from the principles of God and we tried to negotiate with the enemy and bring him into our confidence and say if you won't cross this line we'll be good Amen. Praise God. Amen. It's easy to get the feeling we're outnumbered, we're outgunned, we're outmanned. It's easy to buy into the idea that this is as good as it gets. It's easy to believe there is no hope. It's easy to believe that we've given up all the ground we can and we're just kind of in retreat and we're saying, Lord Jesus, come quickly so we can get out of here and I can be saved. I disagree with that. Ephesians 6 and 12. For the contemporary spiritually dull believer who has been lulled into a false sense of security and responds lethargically to evil, this verse must seem like an echo from a primitive past. I hope I can wake somebody up today. Ephesians 6 and 12. 
for we war not against. My Lord, my Lord. But the evil that is exposed by the church grows stronger with ignorance and indifference. I'm going to go ahead and say that one one more time. It grows stronger with ignorance and indifference. You know what ignorance is? Refusing to admit that we're in spiritual warfare. You know what ignorance is? Sticking our head in the sand and saying, I don't believe that. That's kind of spooky and far out there. You know what indifference is? Don't mess with my family. I won't mess with you. You know what indifference is? I'm just going to go to church, and if that one don't preach what I want, I'll find another brand and try that one because I don't like to be under conviction. I don't like to be made, I, I don't like to be made to feel uncomfortable, and I'm just going to try to get along until we can get there, folks. That is a lie from the devil. That is a lie from the enemy. Find a church that's preaching the truth and stay with it. The Bible says, love the truth and sell it not. Once you've bought into the truth, there's nothing else that matters. Don't sell the truth. My God. If you're going to sell the truth, at least get something for it. I've seen people sell the truth for something that don't even matter. I've seen people sell the truth so cheaply. At least make the devil work for it. Woo. It becomes more dangerous by spiritual inactivity. Amen. If the church doesn't stand up and embrace spiritual warfare, then we're in trouble because the spirit, evil spirit gets stronger without opposition. For Paul, spiritual armor was necessary because of the nature of the enemy. We're not dealing with mortals. Our enemies are spawned on the lofty heights of another atmosphere and are specially prepared to wreak destruction on the church. The devil has one objective, and that is to destroy the church of the living God. The, church, the devil has one set of instructions, and that is destroy your family, destroy your kids, destroy your community and your neighborhood. The devil is a lie. He can't tell the truth, even if he wanted to. That is what we are warring against. The Christian is called to engage this enemy on a deeply personal level. Listen to this. The verb used in this verse is not to battle, but to wrestle. Amen. Last time I checked, wrestling means you're laying hands on somebody suddenly. Wrestling is mano a mano, man on man. Face to face, Brother Hillstead, that is grappling somebody. That's putting them in a full Nelson. Showing my age. Amen. Cowboy Bill Watson, baby. He didn't play. Put you in that sleeper hold. Amen. And then they let you back up. Yeah, that's what we're fighting, folks. Paul said we wrestle. Brother Hillstead, if warfare is not for you, let it become part of your vocabulary. Get in the devil's face. That's the only language he understands. Amen. 
get in his face and say, you're not taking my kid. You're not taking my church. You're not taking my youth group. You're not taking my wife. You're not taking my marriage. You're not taking my church. You're not taking anything that I own because it belongs to me. And when you come in my door, get ready to bind the strong man because I'm going to hit you with everything that I've got. I'm going to fight you every step of the way. Go down someone else's house that's not interested in it. Amen. Praise God. Mm. The enemy despises Christian resistance and he seeks to tame it. The enemy desires to take us out, by, by, uh, out of the fight by our feelings of being inadequate, unqualified, and losing our faith and just seeking the easy way out. Folks, spiritual warfare is not easy. Those of you that took pictures of the screen, the loosing and the binding, the binding and the loosing. Folks, when you start praying that prayer, the spirits of hell are going to encamp around your house. You know why? Because he feels threatened by a saint of God. You start walking around your house throwing some oil and saying, in Jesus' name, get ready for a battle. You walk around your yard and say, in Jesus' name, it's time for you to leave. Guess what's going to happen? The devil's going to fight because that is his territory and he believes that's his and he doesn't want to leave. All right. Deuteronomy 32 and 30. I'm going to wrap up with this one. Here's where we get into the fight. Deuteronomy 32 and 30. How, can, how could one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? This verse, if you study it, is part of the Song of Moses. This is not an actual event, but Moses was using what we commonly refer to as an exaggeration to make a point. Southerners are great at that. You know why Jeff Foxworthy and the cable man are so popular? Because they're Southerners. They grew up listening to their grandpas and grandmas and aunts and uncles tell those stories. I caught a fish this big. He is at least that big <laughs> amen saw a buck the other day I lost count at 22 points he was as big as a moose right looked like an elk out there see southerners are great with that you know what Moses was doing he went all southern on us and he started using an exaggeration to show us how powerful the team is that we are on Stay with me. <laughs> so now then, just let me run some numbers real, real quickly. Moses was making a point to show how mighty the God of Israel is and how he can empower his people if they come back to him and remain faithful. So if one, right, 
puts a thousand to flight, then the next set of numbers is two puts what? Ten thousand to flight. So we doubled the first one and multiplied that second number. Okay? So now then, if one and two are correct, then here's what we've got, a pattern. So let's go a little bit further. Y'all ready? Two becomes four. Right? And 1,000 to 10,000 is multiplied by 10 times. So if we keep going 2 to 4, then 10,000 times 10 becomes 100,000. Amen. We don't need 150 fighting in alabaster. My God. Population of alabaster, I think, is 36,000. So all I need is about two and a half. And wherever how many devils reside in alabaster, we can run them around till they get tired. Two and a half to three of us. Come on. You see, we have been lulled into this thing of buying into Satan's math that says not only is it one-on-one, -on -one, but only one of you can put two and a half or three of us to flight. It's going to take a bunch of y'all to do that. Now, I'm not preaching a big, big, against big churches or big congregations. Y'all know better than that. But I am teaching and preaching that instead of going home today and feeling like I'm just glad I made it to church, hopefully I can make it next week, go back to your neighborhood and drive into the gate and say, this belongs to me. I hope I can find a thousand devils in my neighborhood today because I'm going to run them around till they get tired. And if my wife is with me, we're going to find 10,000 and run them around for a little while and say, guess what, devil? Two apostolics just showed up. It's time to start running. Get your running shoes on. You ain't going to camp out in my house anymore. You're not going to camp out in my neighborhood anymore. You're not going to camp out in my church anymore. You better get your moving clothes on because you're moving out. You can go to the next church down the road, but you can't stay here anymore because we're going to run you around. All right. Woo. Two becomes four. Ten thousand becomes a hundred thousand. Listen to this. We're about to get to crazy numbers now. These are stupid numbers. Because when I double four to eight, keeping the same ten times on the back end, then, <laughs> then one hundred thousand times ten becomes one million. And we don't even need to go from 18 to 16. Mm. I feel something in the Holy Ghost. I feel some boldness coming back and saying, I have bought into that lie from Satan that the church is just barely making it and we're just barely getting by. I bought into that lie that we don't need to be brass and bold and all of that stuff. We need to be meek and humble. Amen. Praise God. I've listened to all those old southern gospel songs. Little bluegrass, pluck, pluck, pluck. 
plink, plink, plink. Just a little spot in heaven close to you. What? I know it sounds good. And it makes us want to cry. But folks, unless I am very badly mistaken, if I am, I stand corrected. But I haven't found that scripture in the Bible yet. I don't know if they'll have banjos in heaven. I kind of hope they don't. Because I don't want to listen to all that junk when I get to heaven because I believe, my God, Brother Hillstead, I believe you and I are going to be on Mansion Avenue. Come my. I'm back to preaching the Word in case y'all forgot about that one. I believe you and I and Brother Garrett's going to be walking down Mansion Avenue saying, I wonder where my mansion is. Because when I move into mine, folks, I ain't going to be surprised because you know what I'm doing today? I just sent up a truckload of building materials today to work on mine because I believe that God said, you build it as big as you want to. I believe there will be rewards in heaven. Your reward is not just making it to heaven. But will there be any stars in my crown? How many crowns will I have? How many people will I have that's in heaven because of me? Let's stand together. Woo! All right. <clears throat> just in case, just in case, I didn't get you with the multiplication tables. This is for you. How are these numbers possible? Brother Hillstead, I thought about that and asked myself that question because I didn't want to be unprepared today because those are some fantastic numbers, right? Here we go. As we take part in spiritual warfare, we will begin to see people who are freed from the bondage of the enemy come over to our... My God. Come over to our side... And bring with them the ability to chase a thousand. Because that scripture says, unless their rock had given them up, I promise you one thing the first time you walk in with somebody that's bound and say, In the name of Jesus, I rebuke that spirit of addiction. In the name of Jesus, it's time for you to come out. The devil will give them up in a heartbeat. You know why? Because he can't fight a losing battle. And the name of Jesus is greater than any name uttered on the face of the earth. When you say Jesus, something shakes loose in the spirit. When you say Jesus, the devil has to give them up. He has no choice. He's not going to negotiate. He's not going to stick around. He will give them up because the name of Jesus sets them free. And then, when they are set free, baptized in the name of Jesus, filled with the Holy Ghost, then they come to our side and begin to go back to those places where their friends hang out. And their friend says, I don't know what happened to you, but you look different. You act different. 
My Lord. Hallelujah. And they say, whatever you've got seems to be working. Can I have it? That's when we start baptizing folks in apartment swimming pools. That's when people are texting me at night saying we had five filled with the Holy Ghost in our small group meeting because the power of God broke out and somebody that was bound became set free. And the next thing I know, they're over there praying for their buddy that's still bound. You know what they're doing? They're chasing that thousand, saying, you can have what I had. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. In the name of Jesus, be free. Let me throw one more little tidbit of truth on you and then we're going to come up to the front. Not only do we win, we win big. Amen. Not only do we just beat your team, we embarrass your team. Amen. Not only do we just beat you, we made you like it. Amen. Praise God. I got a scripture for you. You are more than conquerors. Not just a conqueror. What is more than a conqueror? Somebody that takes more territory than they thought they were entitled to. (laughs) I thought this little spot was good, but now I'm more than a conqueror. I'm going to take more of that because freedom feels good. Winning feels good. We are not just barely getting by and hoping we can win, but we are guaranteed victory. 